going to do something that is not par for the course for me, and that is typically we'll, we've been working through the book of Romans together, and so we're taking a break because it's Easter Sunday to do something a little Easter-oriented. And uh, uh, so typically we read several passages or we'll take one full uh, verse and, and, and fully preach through it. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm actually going to uh, just take a verse and take part of a verse and build a sermon uh, off of that uh, in keeping in line with what the Bible actually teaches, not just going off on some random tangent here. You've got a bulletin this morning, and those bulletins uh, inside of it has every verse of Scripture that I'll use this morning because I, I go pretty rapidly, and some of, some of you have said, I can't write as fast as you talk. And so there it is, that'll help you out, nor can you turn in your Bible or in your device as fast to that particular passage as I can uh, talk through it. And so it's there for, uh, for you, and so I, I encourage you to use that this morning. Several weeks ago, I was driving down Highway 77 south coming out of Southside, Alabama, and came up on, River, I think it's Riverview Baptist Church there on the left-hand side of the road. And they had this verse on their uh, marquee, Matthew 28, 6. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he laid. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but it was like those three words that are highlighted in yellow were just leaping off the billboard in front of me. And it was in that moment that it was like, it was like that, that's Easter, Easter Sunday sermon right there. As he said. You know, the Bible records over 31,000 verses. Did you know that? Your Bible contains over, a little over 31,000 verses. The Bible says about itself that every one of those verses, according to Paul's writing to young Timothy, was breathed out by God. Spoken by God. And so when we read the Bible, we're not, you know, though we might be reading the writings of Moses or the writings of David or the writings of Jeremiah or the writings of Paul or Matthew or, or James or whoever it might be, you and I have to understand that though those men did write those words down, According to this passage, and one other that I'm not going to put on the screen, out of Second Peter, where Peter says in chapter 3 that men wrote as they were carried along by the Spirit. And so these authors, 40 of them, out of the 66 books that we have in our Bible, 40 different authors written over a 1,500-year period of time, written on three different continents, are, are all writing about this one story. Not the story of humanity, the story of God. The Bible is not about you, the Bible is about God. The Bible is informing you of who God is and thereby telling you who you are. But what's most important that you know is not necessarily who you are first, is that you know who He is. That's what's important. And so all of these authors, they're writing down as the Holy Spirit is breathing these words into them. And as He is carrying them along, they are writing these words down. So it doesn't really matter what verse of Scripture we turn to this morning. We can say that all Scripture is spoken by Christ, 
God the Father, by the Spirit. Let's just, let's just tighten it up a little bit and make it easier. It's Trinitarian. It's Trinitarian. They're, they're all speaking. The Godhead is speaking in the Bible. When the world was created, it says that God, it says God created the heavens and the earth, but the word there is a plural pronoun, uh, which means that it's speaking of the Trinity, that we have the Spirit is there at creation, the Father is there at creation, uh, the Son is there at creation. They're always working together, and you never find one without finding the other. And so, when we read a verse where the angel says, He has risen as He said. I just want us to take a few moments this morning and, and just take a look at some of the stuff that Jesus said. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. The first point is the nicest of the three. The next one is going to be very difficult. So don't, when we get to point two, point three ends good. But when we get to point two, if you're online, don't turn me off. And if you're in here, don't tune me out. Stick with me. Because I think point two may be the most, listen, I, I had a guy come by yesterday who was a preacher and picked some stuff up and we got preacher talking and I just preached the sermon to him. And he just took a seat. And uh, Andrew come in and pulled up a seat, and he said he's got a little wound up. So I've kind of preached this one time already. I, the, I, the second part of this sermon, I have been boiling and on for a long, long time, and I can't think of a better Sunday to bring it out than today. And I, but here's what I want you to hear. When we get to point two, I want you to hear my heart. Now, a lot of you in here I know, and some of you in here I don't, I don't know at all. I don't have to know you to say what I'm about to say. I care and love every person that God ever created because I care deeply about your soul. I really do. I believe heaven is real and hell is real, and I believe there's people that are going to heaven, and I believe there's a whole lot of people on their way to hell. And I'm all about trying to take as many people to heaven as, as, as we possibly can. And listen, there, there's no purgatory. There's no you go, you know, you, you can live it up here on this earth and then you can go to hell for a little while and work out your sin and then end up in heaven. Or God knows you're, you know, God knows that you're really a good person and all that kind of stuff and he'll eventually let you in. He's just going to overlook everything. We'll get to that in a minute. Point number one is this. I want to tell you something that Jesus said to us. And it's found in John chapter uh, 16. It's words of comfort. It's, hey, I don't know about y'all, but the, do you know where you were this Sunday last year? I know where I was. I was preaching in front of a computer. That's weird. I mean, I'm sitting 12 inches from a computer screen looking into it, trying to preach. Brandy said, well, we'll come in there and say it. And maybe that'll make it feel better. I said, that's even weirder. Because <laughs> you're in there and I'm not looking at you. So that's weird. It's been a tough year for everybody. And we've lost a lot of people. And there's a lot of people here this Easter that's not here this Easter that was here last Easter. And um, financially, life has been tough. We've been social distanced from each other, and, and that's for, some, for a lot of people, that's been tough. 
not to have interaction, not to have social interaction, um, because we're social people. We were created to be with other people. We were not created to live in isolation. And so I just wanted to speak some words of comfort because we're still not fully out of this deal. And today reminds me of that. Today reminds me that there's people that are not here because still in the United States, you know, uh, there is a disease that is ongoing that people are losing their life every day over. And a lady that was dear and precious to me, um, we, we buried her this week. And I, I just never would have dreamed that she would have, she would have been taken by COVID. Um, I saw her two years ago, just a beautiful smile, a beautiful person. When you were with her, you felt important, you felt loved, and she's gone. She's gone. She's 62 years old, and she's gone. It's been tough, and it's not quite over yet. And so I needed words of comfort this week, and I want to give you some words of comfort. I'm just going to let Jesus talk to us this morning. How about that? Y'all okay with that? Let's just let him talk to us. Listen to what he said. He, this is right before he goes to the cross. He says, I've said these things to you. <laughs> well, he said a lot. They, they, matter of fact, they said, if you, if you wrote down all that he said and, and did, this is what John says at the end of his gospel, you, the, the, all the books in the world, all the scrolls in the world could not contain all that he said and did. So he said a lot. Did a lot. He said that in me, you may have peace. If you need peace this morning... Until you, get, until you have peace with God, you'll never have the peace of God. And how do you have peace with God? That's called salvation. It's called redemption. Born again, conversion, whatever word you want to use. You, you first got to make peace with God because right now, if you're not a Christian, you're God's enemy. You've declared, you've declared a war on Him because you're a sinner. But the good news, Romans 5 says, that while we were yet God's enemies, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. You, that, I, got that, I got taught that in VBS, first grade. I've been doing that a long time, and it's still true today. You've got to have the peace with God, then you can have the peace of God. Then he goes on to say, in the world, look at this promise. Not a good promise, but it's a promise. You will have what? Tribulation. Life is going to be difficult. It's going to be tumultuous. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be a piece of cake. You're going to cry. Your heart's going to be broken. You're going to get toothaches and headaches and body aches and back aches and every kind of ache. And your body's going to fall apart. And it's falling apart right now. I don't care how young you are. You're falling apart. As every day goes by, you, there, it's just one less day. You're on the downhill slide. That's the truth. We're going to have tribulation. This life is not going to be easy. And if you're a Christian and you try to live the Christian faith in the cancel culture that we live in, get ready. Y'all probably need to go ahead and in the 2022 budget, we might need to get bail money set aside in the budget. Because there's some stuff that if we... I'm telling you, you think, oh, it ain't going to happen down here in Alabama. We're crazy down here. We didn't let them liberals come down here. Are you crazy? If you don't think they're liberal, the liberals are already here. They're already here. And there's going to be stuff that you can't, you can't say any longer. See, that's going to pop every now and then because I've got to keep you all with me. All right? So just get ready for that. Hopefully you've got a good heart, you know, and it doesn't mess you up that bad. But listen, 
we're in a canceled culture. And the, and the person that's going to be number one on the list, his name is Jesus. Okay, he, that, he's number one on the cancel culture list. Because he got all kind of stuff that he's already said that cancel culture people don't like. And you talking about tribulation. You talking about a lot of trouble coming down the road. And, and, and I look forward to it. Because one of the things it's going to do is it's going to thin the herd out. We're going to really find out who's on Team Jesus and who's not. And I'm all for that. I'm about ready for some people to jump on the field and, and start playing the game and quit on, sitting on the sideline waving and saying, We love Jesus too. No. That, no. You're not on the team because on Team Jesus, everybody gets on the field. Not, not just... 11 or 5 or 9, everybody gets on the field. Why? Because, hey, in Team Jesus, everybody gets a trophy that plays. We are into participation trophies on Team Jesus because if you run the race, you cross the finish line, you, you get a trophy, you get a prize. But take heart. What does Jesus say? I've overcome the world. Listen, there's no better time for you to realize that the cross of Christ is the promise and I told the life group this, that when, when life sees its worst day, know that God is always working at His best. Hmm? Friday was pretty bad, wasn't it? it? It don't get any darker than Friday. I mean, God turned the lights out on the world for three hours. He just slapped, turned the lights out. And He sent hell down on Christ. And Christ went in the grave on Friday night, and he was still in the grave on Saturday. Some guy, some, some guy put on Facebook, said, see, Jesus really wasn't dead three days because he, he, he went on on Friday and he come out on Sunday. That's not 72 hours. Well, look, if you're dead on Friday, that's one day. You're dead on Saturday, that's two days. And you're still dead Sunday morning, and then you get up, that's three days. It may not be 72 hours, but it's three days. It's three days. But on Sunday, he got up. See, listen, right now it may be dark. And, and, and you may not find a lot of comfort in what's going on in the world. But listen, just remember, the darkest, worst day of human history produced the greatest good this world has ever seen. And all you got to do is hold on, because it might be Friday, but Sunday is on the way. It's on the way. It's coming one day. And, and everything... Is going to be undone that has been done. Now, let me just give you some verses here. Let's run through these. Romans 8, 37. Listen, this is what the Bible says. Paul says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So you're a conqueror. I'm a conqueror. How? Through Him. Through Him that loved us. Then it says, look at what John says. John says, little children, you are from God. And what? And have overcome them, right? For he who is in you, do you know this verse? Is greater than he who is what? In the world. So the greater one lives in you. In that same book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God, that's the key, everyone who has been born of God does what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What's the victory? Your feelings? What? Your faith. Your faith. And then Revelation 3, 
21, G- this is Jesus speaking. Uh, he's speaking to the churches. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, one last verse this morning. And they have conquered him. How? How did they conquer him? He's talking about the false prophet. He's talking about, he's talking about Satan. How did they conquer him? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Why? For they love their lives, they love not their lives, even unto death. So this morning, you and I need to take great comfort in the fact that Jesus has overcome the world. And if he has overcome the world, guess what? You too will overcome the world. Now, you, you, you may have some dark days ahead of you. You may have some tough days ahead of you. You may have some ch- trying and challenging days ahead of you. But listen, you will overcome, not because you are an overcomer, but because the one who overcame lives in you and makes you an overcomer. And then, here's the second point of this morning's sermon. Words of conviction. Words of conviction. Scripture says these words. This is the, the, the writer of Hebrews. Well, I'll tell you what. Before, before we get that, let, 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 let me make a couple of statements here. Um, there's a new version of Christianity that has been at work in the Deep South, in particular, for many, many years. I've addressed this from time to time, but I don't think I've ever addressed it quite in this way. And, and I just think today is the day uh, that, that we just need to come to grips with this because I know in talking to you, some of you are dealing with this with friends and family members and acquaintances uh, as you talk to people uh, about the Lord and as you talk to people about uh, being a part of a, of a local congregation. But there's a, there's a Christianity that's been created that is a conversion Salvation without participation. It's a conversion without participation. Notice I didn't say attendance. And I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about participation in a a, a local church. And I'm not talking about doing attendance. Attendance is not important. Attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a carport, uh, standing in your garage makes you a car. Okay? So just coming to church, that, that, that doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church will not get you into heaven. Everybody agree with that? Going to church won't get you into heaven. Refusing to participate in the life of Christ's body called the church will certainly keep you out of heaven. Ooh. Hmm. That's the, that's, the, that's the bitter pill. Now stay with me. Don't tune me out right here because you need to hear what I'm about to say. I'm not making this up, okay? And this is this not some sermon to, to fill church pews and, 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 to, and to have a big roster of numbers. I care about your soul. And there's, there, there's some stuff that we have just chosen to overlook in the Bible and not tell to people. And because we fail to, then we are literally damning people to hell. I'll use that language this morning. We are damning people to hell. 
The Bible says as a pastor, my responsibility according to Hebrews 13 is to, is to watch care over the souls of men and women. You know what that says? That says when, when I stepped into the role and said, you know what, God's called me to be a pastor, I wasn't signing up for a paycheck. I was signing up to be on watch for souls that were teetering between heaven and hell. And to be a herald and to be a voice that says, here is the way, walk in it. It's not your participation that saves you. It is your salvation that fuels your participation. Many may say, show me in the Bible where it says that Christians must participate in church. Well, I only have one verse that kind of, and it doesn't like definitively say it. There's a big implication here. Here's what it says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is written to a church not neglecting to meet together. That's about all we got in the New Testament. Like, we don't have a, a verse that says, thou shalt go to church. But, listen to me. Stay with me. I've often wondered why there are not more direct commands when it comes to church participation and its necessity. There are those who say the lack of commands proves that it is not necessary as a validation of conversion. Or, 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 could it be that though it lacks emphatic statements, there are hundreds of verses that emphatically imply its truth? Could it be that it doesn't have to clearly be spelled out because in the life of all true followers, it has been installed Jesus faithfully attended temple services, even preaching a time or two. However, look at what he taught his followers. This is Acts chapter 7. Yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, right? You know why they went to the temple? Because they believed the temple was the only place God was. That's why they went there. It was the only place they could believe they could meet God. But watch, look at what Ezekiel, the Old Testament dude, said. He said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what is Paul and Ezekiel saying? Look, God no longer dwells in temples. He dwells in you. We are the new temple. God comes at salvation to dwell in you. Everybody agree with that? Just say amen. Okay. All right. We're all, we're all together. I'm back to Jesus now. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, notice capital H, that's the Spirit, He will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send Him to you. What's Jesus saying there? Something different's coming. God always dwelt in a building. Now He's about to move over and start dwelling in you and I. Because as soon as I exit planet earth, guess what happens? The entrance of the Spirit comes because I'm not leaving you all by yourself because you can't do this all by yourself. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you're going to get the Spirit, you're going to be endued with power, you're going to be witnesses. Then they're hanging out in this church service called the upper room and they're waiting there until, like Jesus said to do until the Spirit comes. And then the Bible says, like cloven tongues of fire, the Spirit descends on these people. And, and there's only 120 in this first church service. It's not a big church. It's a, it's a rather small church. 
And so they descend and they, they begin to speak in a tongue that could be understood by everybody in their own language. It's a unique tongue. And so Peter walks out and they think they're all drunk. And they say, well, they can't be drunk. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. How can you be drunk at nine o'clock in the morning? And so everybody's hearing their, the gospel in their own language as Peter speaks in this unique, God-gifted, one-moment-in-time history tongue at that moment. And so he's, he's preaching, and they understand, and, and, and 3,000 people get saved. Look, so this is exactly what happens the, right after this, after this sermon happens. So we got 3,120 people all of a sudden, and look what they do. They all went back to their houses and went about their own life. Oh, hold on. Nope, doesn't say that. It says, and they, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Well, I believe you got to kind of got to get with people in order to do that. I don't, I don't know if you can fellowship by yourself. People say, well, the Bible says we're two or more gathered. He's there in the midst. Reread that verse. That's not what that means. That doesn't mean just because you and Jesus are there that, you know, you need to reread that. The fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now watch, watch. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who, all who what, what did they do? What did they do? They believed were together and had all things in common. They, where, where were they? Where were they? Together. Not at their house, though they met in houses, together, at somebody's house. Because they didn't have church buildings back then. So the church building was the house. That would, look, <laughs> go back and read the sermon in Acts 2. Peter didn't say at the end when all these people got saved. Now he didn't say, now y'all come here, y'all gather around. Now listen, here's what you're going to do. Now y'all are a part of what's called the church. You ought to start getting together and hanging out together. Something just intuitively told them to do this. That you know what? We're part of the family of God. We've all been brought into this, to this collective community of believers. And so guess what we need to do? We need to get together. We need to spend time together. Why? Because we will not make it on our own. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any of them had need. And day by day, attending temple, they even still went to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. They gathered together as a church because it was the only reasonable response to the grace that they had experienced. When the Spirit came, when those who were lis listening were converted, what followed was intuitive. Why? Because the Spirit draws His people together like magnets to a metal. Now, let me, let me just use this scripture for a second. Watch this. Um, Jesus is being accused of... Well, he, he's not being accused. He is casting out demons. But look at what they say about him. If Satan cast out Satan, this is Jesus speaking, he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? You know what they're saying? Jesus is like, look, y'all are, are saying you're casting out demons because you're the devil. How, how can the devil cast out the devil? That's a divided kingdom. 
And, and when I was thinking about that this week, here, here's what dawned on me. If the Spirit of God lives inside of me, and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, then for us to say, well, you know what? I don't really need the church. I can worship at home. I can, I can, I, I can do this Christian thing all by myself. I, I, I don't need those people down there. That doesn't make any more sense than Jesus being accused of being Satan and casting out Satan by being Satan. It doesn't make any sense for Christians who have the Spirit of God living inside of them. Listen, do you think that Jesus inside of you wants to hang out with Jesus inside of somebody else? I do. I don't think if you've got Jesus inside of you, living, living in you, I don't, and Ron's got Jesus living inside of him, I don't think Ron's Jesus and my Jesus says, you know what, we don't really want to hang out together. I, I talked to this pastor guy yesterday for hours. We didn't. We never met each other, and we're in there just having the biggest time. Like we've known each other for years. Well, how does that happen? Jesus and him, and Jesus and me. And when you get two Jesuses together inside of somebody, they can't get away from each other. We're attracted to each other because of Jesus. As I thought about the Scripture, I asked myself, how can people who claim to be Christians be divided against His church? If Christ is in you and Christ is in others, then how can we resist participation in Christ's body called the church? Yes, the church is not perfect. Amen? Hang around. You'll get stepped on, stomped on, lied about, talked about. That's the way it is. I mean, I don't know why people are looking for something that don't exist. We're imperfect people working towards perfection. But we're imperfect. We, we really believe what Jesus said in, Matthew, in John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But let me ask you this question. If you're not in church, so listen, Jesus said, if you're really mine, you'll, you'll do what I tell you to do. Okay? That's just kind of a distinguishing mark of whether somebody's a Christian or not. But listen to this. I'm just going to read this to you. And, you, and you, you, if, you gotta, if you can answer this differently at the end of the service, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. But I just want you to hear, if obedience is a mark of true Christianity, and you refuse to participate in the life of the church... then how in the world are you, are you doing exactly what I'm about to read to you that Jesus said to do? Listen to what he said. Love one another. This is commanded 16 times. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. Honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12.10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12.16. Build up one another, Romans 14.19. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Be like-minded towards one another, Romans 15.5. Accept one another, Romans 15.7. Admonish one another, Romans 15.14. Colossians 3.16. Greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love to one another. Be kind and compassionate towards one another. Speak, 
Uh, speak to one with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interest of others. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up. Provoke one another to love and good work. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another and confess your faults to one another. You can't do that and not participate in the life of a church. That's a whole heap, a lot of disobedience. And do you know all of those things are just proof that the church is not perfect? Because if we were, we wouldn't be told to love and to forgive and to do all these things to one another. I just want you to think about something. How in the world are you going to live in heaven with people you can't go to church with down here on earth? Hmm? How are how, how you going to do that? How are you going to live in heaven how, do, forever? Forever with people you can't go to church with here on earth? The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus died to save the church. He loves the church. He calls the church his bride. That's his bride. That's what he's coming back for. He's going to take his bride back to heaven to live with him forever. Listen, you can't say to Jesus, I love you, the bridegroom, but I don't love your bride. You know what that means? When Jesus comes back to get the bride that you're not a part of, then you don't get to go to be where the bridegroom is. Don't believe for one second you'll live with the bridegroom in eternity when you won't participate in his bride on earth. It is our participation in Christ's body that makes us more like Christ. Jesus died for the church so that others can see the reality of Easter and the collective lives of his church. You can, you, you can grow in your intellectual knowledge of the scripture in isolation, but you cannot grow in Christ's likeness. You can only grow in Christ's likeness with other believers. Because all the things that you've got to do in order to grow can only be done with other Christians. Why? Because James says that if you, you, know, if you believe but you don't do, then you're a demon. I believe that's what he's saying right there. Anybody want to argue with James, Jesus' half-brother? He's pretty clear. You say you believe but then you don't do, then you, your belief is no, no better than a demon. It's not saving faith. It's not real faith. And I'll say one last thing about this, and then I'll, then I'll get off of it. True faith, real faith, authentic faith, it, it obeys. It obeys what the Bible teaches. Sin will say it's your only day off. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people who profess Christ say, I don't go to church, it's my only day off. The Savior says, your life is not your own. Sin will say, they're a bunch of hypocrites. The Savior says, remove the log from your own eye. Sin will say, I've been treated terrible by others in the church. The Savior says, you treated me terribly, yet I say to my Father, forgive them, and they don't know what they're doing. 
Just come with any old excuse you want. Jesus has got, he's got the remedy for it. Listen, I've been going to church my whole life. I don't know anything but church. Nobody's been done more wrong in church than I've had. I mean, I've pretty much had the gamut of experience in church. Had every reason to quit church. Had every reason to hate church. To hate people in church. And often ask myself, why do you keep getting up and going back to that place? The church. Because it's my people. Y'all my people. And you got Christ in you and I got Christ in me and something just keeps drawing me back to you because you my people. And I'm going to spend eternity with you. And yet we may not get along and we may sin against each other and we may hurt each other, but guess what? We get to forgive each other and we get to learn how to love each other and, and we get to do all kinds of stuff that just like what Jesus has done to us. You know what we do? We, we get to experience, in reality, the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And there's not another group of people I'd want to be with. I've tried to leave. I've tried to run away. I've tried to quit. But when you got, when you got Jesus living inside of you, the only thing you know is, I got to be with Jesus' people. I got to be with other Jesus' people that are like me, imperfect. But that's my people. That's my tribe. I, I, I'm getting ready for heaven now. Now. Not later, now. And I just want to leave you with a word of commission. A word of commission. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Today we preach about the cross that Jesus hung on, but there's a cross in your life. There's a cross that Christ calls you to pick up and to carry every day. It's the cross of obedience. It's the cross of saying to Christ, you gave your life for me, now I lay down my life for you. Not because you're trying to earn something or win something, but because you're following exactly what He did. This, Jesus, this is the way you lived your life. This is the way you've called me to live my life. So I lay down my life. I lay down my rights. I lay down everything that I want to do. And I pick that cross up. And when I pick that cross up, this is what it's saying. It is simply saying this. It is saying, Jesus... Look, it's right there on the screen. And picking up my cross, I am saying, I am saying this, that I don't have to do everything for Jesus, but I will do anything for Jesus. Did you get that? You can't, listen, you can't do everything for Him. What He wants you to do is... To be willing to do anything to follow Him. By picking up your cross, 
You're saying, I don't have to do everything for Jesus, but I will do anything to follow Jesus. Why? Because He did everything for me. I want... I would love to see all the people that I pass by every Sunday morning on my way to church who claim the name of Christ and yet remain divorced from the body of Christ to come to the realization that if, they, if Christ really lives in you, then you need to get plugged into a local congregation and you need to serve and you need to use your gifts and you need to be an encouragement, and you need to be a forgiver, and a lover, and a carer, and all those other things that I read to you earlier. But I want to say this, and I say, well, for the last time, if, if you claim to be a Christian, and you refuse the bride of Christ, if you refuse participation in the bride of Christ, and the life of Christ, called the church, You should have no hope to stand on the day of judgment and be counted as innocent. It's not the way it works. You must love what Jesus loves. You must give yourself to what Jesus says that he gave himself for. And that's how we prove. It's not how we become Christians. It's how we prove that we are Christians. And then if we are, I told you last week, there's too much to do. There's too much to do. There's too much to do. And there's not enough time. And we've got to get busy. It's an urgent moment. It's always been an urgent moment. But it's even more urgent now because today we are closer to salvation than we were yesterday. And it's time we get serious about church. But more than that, it's time we get serious about our faith. And it's going to cost you something in the days ahead to really live out your faith if you're going to live it out and not cover it up. Father in heaven, I pray that you would comfort the com th those that are afflicted this morning with your comfort. And I pray that for those that have grown comfortable, that you would afflict us, that you would shake us out of our stupor and our slumber. And I pray that you would awaken those that, who really do know you, but yet for whatever reason have fallen into this, this malaise that they can... Uh, continue to walk with you and yet be totally divorced from your church, from your body, from participation in it. Not just attending, but, but, but participating, giving themselves, giving their gifts and all that they are to that local body of believers. Doing all those things, all those one another's that we talked about earlier. But Father, my prayer this morning is, 
is just simply this, that, that we can begin to shake loose those who believe that they can, that they have punched their ticket to heaven, and yet they will not participate in your body. They simply shun so much of what your word tells us to do. You saved us as individuals, yes, but you saved us into a body. You saved us to be together. That's what heaven is, a community. It's not, it's not some place of isolation. It's a community of people gathered together who are celebrating the life that they live together here on this earth. And then, Father, help us to pick up our cross. Not to do everything for you, but to do anything that you call us to do. To do anything that you call us to do. For apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we trust these moments to you in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll sing one last song to close our Easter service. I have asked Matthew and Andrew. They'll be standing down front here on the front row. If you're in need of prayer, you just want to talk to someone uh, about anything that's going on in your life, then please, during this song, feel free to come down. And either one of those guys would love to, to talk with you or to pray with you. So let's sing this final.